Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, don't want to cut into Gary's time unnecessarily, but did want to give you an opportunity to join with me in thanking Gary for the great study on Ephesians, thanking him for his investment in the camp. Will you join with me now as we uh, uh, express our appreciation to Dr. Gary Cockrell for his time with us. It's a delight to see all of you here today. A number of our faithful Bible study attenders, I can list them for you, give you quite a long list, have already left the camp. Uh, there's the Buswells and the Campbells and lots. And you really, you really can't get on people too much when they go home because they have something to do in their home church and they want to be loyal. You, you know, you really can't sort of knock them in the head for that. But um, I'm glad that you are here and God's Word is here and we have a, one more day in Ephesians together. Um, yeah, let's... Um, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I worship Your holy name. The sun comes out, it's a new day dawning. Well, it's time to sing Your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I'll worship Your holy name. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this, your holy word, for this Lord's day, for every blessing that is ours, for this opportunity to look in your word, for the opportunity to worship you in the service of, of worship that will follow. Bless, bless our brother Paul as he preaches to us then. And now, Lord, open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive your word. May all that I and that we say and all that we think and our responses bring praise and honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It, it has really been a pleasure to do these Bible studies and I've, I've really, really enjoyed doing them. I love the book of Ephesians. I'm sure you didn't, you never, you, you never got that idea, but um, I do love it. It's, it's, all of God's word is rich, but it's a very, very rich and rewarding book to study. And I've been, uh, you know, I come to Camp Syker every year, whether I'm a worker or not, so I'm, I kind of belong around here. You all know me, but I also really enjoyed working with and being with uh, all with John and Trina and Paul and Ron up there. Wish we'd had more time to fellowship together than we did, but it's been sweet and it's been precious. Looking now at, at um, Ephesians chapter 5, well, let me go along here. As... Um, David Graham came up to me afterwards and said, you know, the first part of Ephesians tells us um, what God has done for us and so forth. The second part tells us how to do it, how to put it into practice, and that's exactly right. And we've been looking a few days in what we've called Unit 4 at the second part, life in accord with the many splendored wisdom of God, for the, which is, is another way of talking about God's great design 
for the redemption of the world and including the blessings that we receive within that design. We've been, the last part of the book is then the road that we walk. And we looked in 4, 1 to 16 at walking worthy of your calling in harmony. That was about the unity of the people of God, how we were to live together and treat one another, how, how the, the different gifts are there to build us up in Christ, to strengthen that unity as, we've, as we are uh, built up for the, the, edific, the gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ to prepare us for the work of ministry and enable us to grow in love that we might become, uh, that the body might grow itself in love. Then, in, that was, um, and that was walk worthy of your calling. Then yesterday, 417 through 32, was stop walking as the unbelievers walk in futility. And that was, we, 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 Paul described for us much of the way the unbelieving world walks, the old kind of person that we were. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, by being renewed in the spirit of our minds, we're called to be a new kind of person. That's, that section ended with, um, be toward one another then, kind, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now we come to a third section. This is really going to talk about uh, be imitators of God by walking in the light is what I've called it, but it is also going to talk about staying away from the sensuality of the world. The first exhortation in, in verses 1 through 2, let's read it. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, be imitators of God. Be then imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also has loved us and given himself, offered himself for us, an, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In one sense, this, this verse just seems to drop in here it's a little bit connected to what's gone before because it's told, we've just been told forgive, graciously forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Doesn't seem to be directly connected to what happens. It's just kind of plopped in here in the middle. It can look like that to start with. But when you really get to looking at it, it encompasses everything. Everything that's gone before and everything that's come after is, 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 is encompassed and included in this exhortation that Paul is giving here. It's very important. Be imitators of God. Imitation, the word imitation had a different connotation in the, uh, the New Testament world. We can take imitation kind of as a, 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 a light word. I mean, Saturday Night Live imitates people. You think of when I was in Sierra Leone, the, the students there, they were great imitators. They could imitate my idiosyncrasies like you wouldn't believe. You know, I even had to laugh myself. Um, you know, but we're not talking about in, in, the, in, the, in the first century world, the biblical world, this idea of imitation was um, very central to the whole understanding of education, of growing up. They didn't think of going and learning a subject from somebody you went to somebody you respected to learn a way of life by living with them and imitating them, following their example. And so this imagery is, is used in the New Testament. Paul says elsewhere, imitate me 
as I imitate Christ, as I follow Christ. This is the only place in the New Testament it directly says, become or be, become imitators of God. But the idea is central to the Bible. You know what holiness is? We've had all this, the idea of God flowing through us and so much this, this week. But holiness, and right in line with that, Holiness is being in fellowship with God and reflecting His character because He works through us. That's simply what it is. It's Him working through us and us imitating Him because He is in our hearts and in our lives. And so Paul here then says, be imitators of God as beloved children. The basic fundamental point of imitation is the children to their, to their parents, learning how to be uh, a grown-up, learning how to do what, what they have to do in their adult life. But just remember what Paul has, always said, has already said, way back in chapter one, in the opening verses, part of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ was that before the foundation of the world, God had, had chosen you to be what? To be for, for sonship or for adoption or for sonship through Jesus Christ to God. So this is something God, God this is not just a metaphor as, as beloved children. God made, has made us his children. He's put his own DNA in us. And you'll know back there, it's, he said this, he's, four day, he's a, determined for you to, to, for sonship through Jesus Christ to him, that's to God, to the praise of the glory of his grace in the beloved. Jesus there was the beloved. Yes, beloved guy, God, but beloved. Now Paul, now Paul calls us to imitate God as beloved of the beloved children that God has made us. We can imitate him because he's made us his children. He's put his DNA, his life in us. And as we are his children through the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, so he has made us his beloved children. Are you with me? And so he says, I mean, these first two verses, we've heard a lot from John 17 this week. These first two verses are Paul's condensed version of John, of a lot of what's in John 17. Um, fits, right, fits right in. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And how are you supposed to do that? Walk in love. That sounds nice. That sounds convenient. That sounds good. But then look at the next. Walk in love as what? As Christ also loved us and what? And, and offered himself on our behalf for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor and odor. You know, this, this is one side effect of this, one, one implication of this is the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he says, imitate God, and then he says, do what Jesus, uh, follow, the, follow the example of Jesus. Jesus is obviously here, God in the flesh. But he, so this is the kind of love that we are to have, the self-giving, the self-sacrificing love of God for our neighbor, for uh, the other person, for other members of the body of Christ. This is death to our own self-centeredness, not to, not to wanting our own good, but death to our own self-centeredness and the love of our neighbor as ourself that takes the very practical, a very practical form. It's not just a feeling. Yes, God can give us feelings and they can come, but it is a way of life or the way we treat them. Walk in love with the same kind of love that, that sent Jesus to the cross for us. You know, it's right there. 
John 13 was about 30, 30, 32, 33, where, where Jesus says, for us to love, love one another as he has loved us. It's right in the middle of that, of that great um, upper room discourse, right smack dab in the middle of it, in the middle of John 15. Again, you're to love as I have loved you, going to the cross. That is the mark, that is cruciform love. Cruciform love for, the, for, for others and for the people of God is at the center of the Christian faith. And, you know, crucifixion was ugly. It was horrible. It was cruel. It was abhorred. People in the first century would hardly want to describe it. They wanted to look the other way. But Christ off, but good, but, 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 but the day of crucifixion we call Good Friday. And, and here, Christ's offering for us is called what? He offered himself as a sacrifice and an offering. It's interesting, he's not really saying here to pay the penalty for sin or something like that, even though that's, that's included. But he offered it as a sweet-smelling savor. It was beautiful. Why? Why was this ugly thing beautiful? Why can you take an old rugged cross? Why is there any legitimacy in making it gold? Why is it beautiful? Because it was the obedience of the Son to the Father, the full expression and enactment of the love of God through the obedience of the Son for our salvation and our behalf, and therefore it is glorious and beautiful, and it is a sweet-smelling odor to God. And there's a sense in which when we imitate this, when we walk in this kind of love, we, we participate in that sweet-smelling odor. It, ple it is pleasing in God's sight. It, it is a delight to him when we follow this. So here, this is, in one sense, it sort of stands out by itself, but in another sense, since this is so fundamental, it embraces all that has gone before about how we're to live together in the body of Christ, uh, growing, and it's, it encompasses what's going to come after about how we abstain from the sinfulness and, and all that we've already had from the sinfulness of the world. Then... I've got on your outline, of course, avoid all that is unfit for God's holy people. And then point A under the, that is a description of conduct unbefitting the saints. I'm not sure conduct was the right word for me to use. Let's read the verses. But fornication and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Conduct um, unbefitting the saints, yes, but Paul is talking here about our speech and with that, our imagination. With that, the thoughts and imagination of the heart. And so he begins by saying, sexual immorality, the word is pornea, we get our fornication from that. Uncleanness. And all, and all uncleanness, all uncleanness, that expands the first. And covetousness, that greedy desire for more and more, let it not be named, once even named among you as befits saints. Does he mean we're to live in denial? We're to act like these things don't exist? That as a preacher, I can't mention them or shouldn't mention them? No, that's not what he means, what he's saying. But it's, that's not to be the topic of your conversation. That's the topic of the world's conversation. They're always dealing with that smut and that stimulation. 
and that sort of thing. No, no, it's not proper for saints. Don't talk about it. Don't make it the topic of your conversation. Don't let your mind dwell on it. And then he, he goes ahead and expand. Those three words are the most important because he'll come back to them in a minute. But he goes ahead and expands them. Let there be no, um, let there be no filthiness, no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking. The ESV says, what have I said up here? No filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. Um, the filthiness, I don't have to explain filthiness to you, I don't think. I think you get the idea of all, of, of all the kind of smut that goes in the category of, of filthiness. Foolish talking is, um, well, Proverbs tells us what being a fool is. It's acting like God isn't real and acting like consequences don't matter. It's acting like I can sin. I can go, I can go to a prostitute and it doesn't matter. The writer of Proverbs says you're crazy. Death is in her house. That's where it's going to lead to. That's where it's going to take you. Foolish talking is talking as if, as if God is not God and consequences don't matter and I can do what I want to do and it won't matter and we can joke about it and we can have fun about it and, and denying the consequences of my behavior. Filthiness, foolish talking and all kinds of coarse jesting, um, that, that, that that be gone, which are not fitting. But what? Oh, Paul keeps coming back to this. What are we to put in place of it? Giving thanks, rejoicing in the Lord. There's plenty, wonderful, there's plenty wonderful and wholesome stuff to fill your mind with. And giving thanks for all the blessings that God has given us. So first as Paul is here dealing with the mind, then, uh, then he, he talks about, he does talk about the consequences of this act of this kind of activity, this kind of life. And friends, we need to hear these, our, our whole generation needs to hear these voices. You need to hear what Paul is saying here, this voice. They, because it is the truth and it is being ignore, ignored to the eternal detriment, eternal destruction of people. For this you know with certainty that no immoral, that's the same person as used up there, it's, it's pornos now instead of pornea because it's a person, or unclean person, it's the same word that was used uh, before about any impurity, uh, any impure person or covetous person, which is the same person that was greedy or covetous before. Same three words now only instead of being abstract nouns, um, sexual immorality, uncleanness, greediness or covetousness, it's a uh, sexually immoral person, an unclean person, a covetous person. Um, you know that anybody who does those things, what does he say about them? Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The ESV says, for you may be sure of this, the imperative is very strong. It's not just a normal imperative. Um, in, in the Greek, it's, it's meant to be very, you, I could be knowing this, Get this on your radar. Put this before your eyes. Any sexually immoral person or un unclean person or greedy person, which by the way, or covetous is idolatry. You know, the first and the 10th commandment hook up. You shall have no other God before me and you shall not covet. Covetousness is greediness. It's putting my mind and my desires on more and more and what I want and what I want to do. And that of course is idolatry. 
because it makes these things our gods or our idols. Let no one ever tell you that the Old Testament is not concerned about the heart, but only about outward activity, baloney. The first and the 10th commandment uh, have no outward expression themselves. They can be expressed outwardly, but when they do, they express themselves in false witness and in uh, theft and murder or in using God's name in vain or making an idol or something like that. They are matters of the heart, in your heart. You're to have no other God beside or before or against you. In your heart, do not covet, do not be greedy. Um, uh, God has always been concerned about the heart. And that's why he wants to give us a new heart and a circumcised heart. Put his spirit within us, write his laws on our heart. So, but here, that no immoral or impure person, know this or covetous person who is, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I was asked this question on the hill yesterday up there discussing with him, and the answer is the same today. Is inheritance different from my salvation? In other words, a person living, a, a Christian who knows better, who's, who's living in, in, in fornication, that is living with a member of the opposite sex, unmarried, and, yeah, and, and uh, uh, can they be saved? What do you think the scripture means? That kind of sin is incompatible with salvation. I told them I'm not heaven's gatekeeper. I don't know what's in any person's heart, but if I had to do the funeral of such a person, I could give the family very little hope because it's incompatible. Paul's inheritance and salvation are not separate. Inheritance is all that God has prepared for us going all the way back to the Old Testament where they're united in terms of for Israel of their share in the promised land. It's all that God has prepared for us. It's what the Holy Spirit is the earnest of, what he is the guarantee of that God has for us to come. It is our salvation. And all that here is our inheritance is all that God has done for us. And so he says, they have no part, no, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And in case you didn't get it, Paul says, let me tell you, let no one deceive you with empty words. We have all kinds of empty words today. For all have sinned, everybody sinned, so it's not so bad. A one woman who said, well, Jesus died for sins, take it, took him away, I don't have to worry about what I do. Or a misunderstanding, I was talking about this the other day, but a misunderstanding of, oh, well, salvation is by faith, not by works. A misunderstanding of, of what that means. I heard Charles Stanley myself say, I'm sitting in his congregation say from the pulpit that sin after you're converted or after you've made a decision for Christ has no effect on your eternal salvation. I walked out of his church that day and the United Methodist Church across the street was, had all this stuff supporting the gay march in town. And that is, of course, I'm, that's sinful. But I thought to myself, the gospel is not preached on this side of the street any more than it's preached on that side of the street. The error is different, but it's, a, it's an egregious error that is leading people astray and send, sending them. Um, or, you know, I was in a funeral in Jackson of a young man, 20 years of age, who had taken his own life under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Now, I don't know his heart. Again, I'm not heaven's gatekeeper. But the pastor got up and called him by name and said, because he walked the aisle in such and such a church on such and such a date, we know where he is today. The place, I couldn't, I was 10 minutes early to the funeral and couldn't get a seat because of how many young people were there. And I almost died. He just wrote them all a blank check. If you've signed a commitment card somewhere, you can live however you want and go to heaven. No, you can't. 
God's put his DNA in you. You're the children. There's a, his children, there is a new way of life. Don't be deceived by deceitful words. Let no one deceive you with empty, vain words. For because of these things, this kind of immorality, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Now, but you, what are you? You are children, Paul calls us children of light. Um, now, but now he does move to, he's been talking about the thought life and the consequences of these sins. Now he does move to conduct where he walk, under walk as children of light in verse seven. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't go join in that way of light. Stay away from it. Don't, don't get involved with it. Do not be partakers. This doesn't mean you don't speak to them, you don't witness to them, you don't love them. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about being taken out of the world. We're talking about the world being taken out of us and keeping separate from it. I fully agree with what was said in the sermon about that the other night. Um, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. You were formerly enmeshed in that sinful ignorance that blinded you to what the truth of the gospel was. You couldn't understand what Jesus had done. You didn't know how you should live. You were former, formerly bound in that darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I, I love the way Paul says it here. He doesn't say you were just in darkness and now you're in light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. God has put the light right within us. He has made us light. He is, he, and, and that of course means he's exposed who we are. It's not just that I can see with light, it's that God exposes me. He exposes my sinfulness. He calls me to repentance. He keeps me, I, I'm, I, I'm, this is not something to be proud about because uh, like, oh, I got the light, man. I can tell you what's going on. Whoops, me, man, you're in darkness and I'm in light. I can tell it to, I'm light, I can tell it to you. No, it's, first of all, it's an exposure of who I am and of my sinfulness and my need for repentance and keeps me humble before the Lord drawing on him. But you are light um, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk, here we're back to that walk word walk again. Walk worthy of your calling. Don't walk as the, as the nations walked. Be imitators of God walking in love. And now walk in the light that, um, Sorry, the wind blew my sheet over here. I got it back here. As walk as children of light, for the fruit of, of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. If you're walking in the light, what does your life show? All goodness. If we want to divide these, they overlap, of course. But if we want to divide these, we go back to the first part of chapter four, where you're living in, in humility and meekness, forbearing one another, putting in love, diligent to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Living, goodness is being what God wants us to be, positively showing that love. If we, and they, they, like I said, they overlap. Righteousness then is staying, if we want to put an emphasis on it, staying away from that immorality and all that, both the dissension and the sensual immorality of the world. Goodness and righteousness and truth. Truth is so important. Paul, remember, he told us not just to speak, speaking the truth in love, but being truthful in love. Truth is fundamental. If we, if we deny the truth either about God or about ourselves, we fall into darkness. 
So the fruit of walking in the light is that you'll practice what I've been saying, Paul says, all goodness and righteousness. And you'll live in the truth and the honesty about what is true about God and what is true about me so God can keep working in my life. And so, I don't like the translation, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's a little mis misleading. Let me see what the ESV says here in verse 10. Um, I've got to turn the page. Well, it says try to. I don't, it's not so much trying as it is learning. Um, becoming sense, in a sense it's trying, it's making effort to. In God is light, it's, it's training that light. It's walking in that light. It's becoming more sensitive to that light through our experience as we walk with the Lord, but to discern what the will of the Lord is. We're gonna have another statement like that a little bit later on. But you know, there are of course things, Paul's made it very clear, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong, we're supposed to live accordingly. But in every situation, uh, being a disciple is discerning what the will of the Lord is in humility and in meekness. It's learning to walk according to the voice of the Lord, being sensitive to what he says today and to his direction. You know, I can, I can be in a discipleship group. I can be accountable. I can be accountable for a mega amount of time in my devotions, for memorizing scripture, for tithing, for going to church, for praying, but I can do all of these things and not be a disciple. Now. I, I can't be a disciple without doing some of those things, but I can do them without being a disciple. I can do them as an outward form because it's walking according to the voice of, of the Lord, discerning as you walk with him, intentionally discerning and learning what the will of the Lord is. Um, and then expose the, but, but this is not enough. We're not to partake with them. We're not living in darkness. We're to, to give the fruit of living in the light. And, and, and as we walk, coming to discern better and better what the will of the Lord is, and I'm still walking and learning, but thank God I'm away. I can discern the will of the Lord in my life a whole lot better than I could 20 years ago because I've been walking with him. He's been showing me and teaching me, learning to discern what the will of the Lord is. But there's. There's more than that. Now, do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. Oh my, are they unfruitful? Paul can use understatement too. Unfruitful works of darkness is an understatement. They bear horrible fruit, but not the kind of fruit you wanna have. Um, the unfruitful, they're, they're not profitable at all. The unfruitful work, but instead do what? What's the next line in verse 11? Expose them. Light exposes. Light dispels darkness. Light exposes what is there. And, and there's a sense in which if you're walking with God, you can't help but do that because your life will be different and it will expose the sinfulness of, of, of life around you just by, just by living how you should live. There will be a certain amount of, of exposure. That's why... Christians are persecuted sometimes because they're living a godly life and people around them who are doing other kinds of things that makes them feel guilty. So they persecute the Christian. 
But this goes further. This is part of our duty, not in hostility, not out of anger, not out of our own selfishness, but we are called to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, why is it important to expose them? Because what? So that light be. So, so. The Lord has good testimony that light be. Okay, so that light will be, yes. Well, and absolutely, that's true. And if you don't expose them, it festers and grows. You see, you can't just leave sin alone. Uh, this, in the current situation in which all of us live, this has one really serious um, application. We are so in, inundated with a totally, a, a view of sexuality that is totally contrary to scripture. You know, and I've been talking with one young person during this camp who is pastorally responsible, trying to know what do I say to this 16 year old girl who's telling, in my youth group is telling me she's a boy. How do I deal with this? How do I deal with it pastorally? How do I deal without losing her? How do I deal with it without losing other people in her family in, in the congregation? And all those are questions from a pastoral point of view you have to ask. But also we are told we, ca we cannot compromise the truth because if you do, it will fester. If you do, it will grow. If you do, the darkness will, to not expose the darkness is to allow the darkness to swallow the light. We have no choice, yes, tactfully, yes, lovingly, yes, appropriately, um, and winsomely, and prayerfully, but we must stand for the truth or it will swallow the darkness. And so here you we're called to reprove, not just to not li li partake of the darkness, but instead to expose them, for it is disgraceful to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. You can't even talk about them, it's so disgraceful and shameful. Paul says, ah, you know what they are, I don't want to repeat them here. They're too shameful, I've already said enough about that. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. So when the light exposes them, they are brought to light for what they are. People can be delivered from them. And of course, in every pastoral situation, you have to think about this person, of course, that you're dealing with. But you gotta think about the rest of the church and the rest of the youth group. If I compromise on this and sweep this under the rug, what am I saying to the rest of these kids? Where am I putting them? What am I saying for in the church? The, the, the darkness will swallow the light. Reprove them. Um, Because all, it will shovel them up for what they are. It will expose them for everything that becomes visible is light. You expose the truth so it can be, uh, sin, so it can be dealt with and it can be removed and people can be delivered from it and preserved from it. For this reason, the scripture says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. This is an invitation. Christ is the one who who, who awakens us. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were asleep. Both death and sleep here are used as, as, as examples of insensitivity, of not being aware of the things of God, of not being in tune to the things of God. Christ is the one who calls us to awake. This is why as a minister of the gospel, it's always so important that I live in the truth. 
that I don't manipulate. I don't use any kind of deception or any kind of manipulation because my job is not, my, the job of a minister of the gospel is the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus. The loving truth, but the truth. Christ invites us, Christ calls us to be awake. Christ calls us to come out of these kind of things. So then, we're to expose or reprove the, the, the um, unfruitful works of darkness. And then Paul concludes, walk carefully in the fullness of the Spirit. He began by saying, um, be imitators of God and walk as Christ walked. He's gonna end by saying, be filled with the Spirit. Somehow there seems to be, to be an appropriateness in that. We've got all three members of the Trinity here. And it seems like Paul tends to end these sections with the Spirit. You know, it comes to the end that we're sealed by the Spirit, so forth. The Holy Spirit is the one that sort of brings us to a reality in our lives, what Christ has done. And so he, he comes at the end and, 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 and talks about the um, Holy Spirit. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here we have that understanding what the will of the Lord is again. You know, you try to unpack these words one at a time and it's like Paul is saying the same thing in different words. Be careful, don't be, un don't be unwise, but wise. May redeem your opportunity. That's what it really means, by the way. This is not an exhortation to feverish activity. You know, redeem the time. I don't know how much time I got. I got I to gotta work like crazy, as hard as I can go. That's not, the word time here is, is, we could get it better if you said opportunity. Redeeming your opportunity. Making use of the time and the opportunity that God has given you. This window of opportunity that God has given you to live for Him. This window of opportunity that you have at camp meeting to fellowship, to hear the Word of God. This window, of, re, watch out for your opportunities uh, that God gives you. Re, that's, that's what's being said there in particular. But all of it is, you know, don't be on, walk carefully, don't be unwise, but be wise. Um, then he uses, uh, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In, in a way, he's saying the same things over and over again. It reminds me a little bit of the book of Proverbs. You know, I used to be a little impatient with the book of Proverbs. You know, because it takes like nine chapters, it's like the whole first nine chapters, all Solomon is saying is get wisdom, get understanding. It's like, okay, okay, Solomon, I got it. Get wisdom, get understanding. Tell me what wisdom and understanding are. Let's have some of it. Give me some of those Proverbs, come on. And then I realized that the reason Solomon has to take so much time is because we are slow, slow to get wisdom and understanding. It's because it needs to be emphasized so fully. And because the very heart, the very basis of true wisdom and understanding is, our, is that we know we need wisdom and understanding. That's the first mark of wisdom. To know that you need the wisdom and understanding that comes from God to begin with your life with the fear of the Lord and how that works out in the practical things of life. So Paul here, it's like, He's urging here at the end, I've said all this, but now, 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 but you know, be careful, apply this. Don't be foolish. Don't ignore the consequences. Foolishness is ignoring consequences, you know. That's exactly what it is. It's God's not in heaven and things, I, you know, foolishness is I can live this kind of lifestyle, nothing will ever happen to me. That's the foolishness. Avoid, don't be foolish, but be wise. Seek to understand, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be, don't, 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 don't be um, 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 silly here about this kind 
about this kind of thing. So he's putting that all together, urging us now to apply the wisdom that he's been telling us, describing for, uh, uh, for us. And then, of course, be filled with the Spirit. And do not be, this kind of brings all of this section to a conclusion. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or in excess. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Paul just keeps coming back to this giving thanks thing. You notice that? He keeps coming around to it. But you know, let me put it this way. We are made creatures who long for joy, who long for happiness, who long for fulfillment. It is in there. God made us that way. We, we want something that makes life worthwhile, that fulfills up the whole within our hearts and in our lives. And spiritual life abhors a vacuum just as much as nature abhors a vacuum. People are going to fill the hole with something. And Paul here tells you what to fill it with. That's where he comes to the end. Don't be drunk with wine, which is excess. And you could put every other sensuality there with drugs, with anything else, with all the kind of, all the kind of stuff that people try to fill their lives with. Don't be drunk with your job. Don't be drunk with your hobbies. Don't be obsessed. Don't have, not, let none of them be uh, it, it may, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a hobby. I have a couple of them. But there are sidelines. They're, re, they're, they're done in, in, in the light of, 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 the, uh, of, of who God is in my life. Don't, don't be drunk. Don't be possessed. Don't try to get your kicks from all of these things. Don't be drunk with wine in which is excess or in which is debauchery. And none of them will satisfy, friends. For all of them, some of them quicker than others, more quickly than others, demands more and more for less and less until it demands everything you've got and gives you nothing but agony. Um, don't be drunk with wine in which is excess. But, but what? Be filled, allow God to fill you with his spirit. Because in his, we were made for his presence. That hole inside was cut and shaped. It's a God-shaped hole. It was cut and shaped for God to dwell within. Don't be drunk then with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's a joyful thing. It's not I'm filled with Spirit now. I'll never crack a joke again. You know, if you catch me smiling, hit me in the head. You know, this is not, there are things we don't do. There's a serious to us about it. I think I quoted C.S. Lewis before. We're not frivolous, but we, but we don't, to be serious, but we don't, there is a joyful, cheerful humor that is most appropriate, a most appropriate expression of the joy we have, um, a joyful, appropriate, affirming humor, most appropriate expression of the joy we have in the Lord. But here it's specifically in worship, speaking to one, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, you know, we always want to try to parse those three. We don't know exactly 
you, you get the idea of what Paul's saying, but just by all three of them together. But if, if you want me to break them down, Psalms, no doubt coming from the Old Testament, hymns and praise to God, spiritual songs, those that, in, that, in, that encourage one another and um, that bring, bear my testimony and are an encouragement to one another, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. This is the opposite of the drunken orgy. This is the opposite of the place where people are drunk with wine and excess and involved in sex and debauchery and singing lewd songs, trying to fill their hearts with something else. Here, it's with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, there's an exuberance to this. Paul does just say, stand up and sing. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's right to rejoice in the worship of God. Oh, there can be a pure carnal rejoicing, one without God. I remember sitting in church one day, it can be in the same service. I remember sitting in church one day and a young woman who'd come from a tough background, but a, a background where the churches were very, well, she'd come from the, the one that's Pentecostal church, which is very emotional. Um, and during the singing, she was up going like this. And after it was over, I saw her just sitting there, not paying any attention, talking to her husband. You know, I, I'm, I can't judge her heart, but the evidence was, and the evidence of her life was, this was a learned response. It was kind of getting exuberant like you would at some kind of secular concert, but the Spirit of God wasn't in, that, in what she was doing. Now in the same service, there were other people truly worshiping the Lord. During that service, my own heart had been singing, rejoicing in the Lord. So it's not just a matter of outward expression or how you express it, but an expression is appropriate because there is an exuberance, there is a joy in worshiping the Lord. This is a foretaste of what we will enjoy with Him forever, and it fills the empty void. I don't know if I said it here or up on the hill now, but a few years ago, I won't tell you how many, I went to my 50th high school graduation, and I looked around at those people, and I thought, I, one of the reasons I went, I mean, I hadn't seen any of them. They hadn't had any contact with any of them for 50 years. They only found me because of the internet. And one of the reasons I went, one, not the only reason, one of the reasons I went was a, a hope that I could witness to some of them again, see where they were spiritually, share Christ with them. But I looked around and I thought, man, you get to this point in life, you don't have Jesus. You don't have anything. You are really empty. It's true all along throughout life, but it really becomes clear. But I have him, and he has me, and I have everything. I don't need anything else. He fills that God-shaped that God, that God hole. So finally then, the, the finals, walk, be imitators of God, walk as Christ walked with, the, with, crucif with cruciform love, Preserve the unity of the church. Stay away from, from all kinds of, uh, not only what we would call sins of the spirit, that's true, gossip, criticism, all that, but all this sensuality that, that is around us. Live in a way that exposes the truth. Live wisely, redeeming your time. And that is done both by walking as Christ walked, but also that is made a reality in our lives by being filled with God's, allowing God to fill us with his spirit, to have all that there is of us so that we can have all that we can have of Him. Our capacity for Him grows, you know.
you know, my capacity for Christ is limited. I, he gives me all that I can take right now. But, but, but the vessel's going to keep growing. But so to be filled in with the Spirit and rejoicing in who God is and in what he's done for us. Good. I think I've succeeded in giving you at least a couple minutes, and we're not quite as pressed today because the next service is until 11. I know though you need a break time. Are there comments or questions that insights that have come to you or questions you'd like to raise? Anybody? Teresa? I see in verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, to me, is the answer of the many splendid wisdom of God because Jesus is given to us as wisdom. And we see there, wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what is the will of what the will of the Lord is, which means you're able to be wise. You're able to look to him and get the understanding so that we do have the will of the Lord in that instant. In that breath, in that thought, that is a that is the fellowship that gives the thanks. Oh, thank God! Jesus said, "Have my joy," uh -huh. and I said, "Yes, Amen." And He said, "Have my peace," and I said, "Yes, Amen." Uh -huh. And that uh, verse 17 uh, to me shows the heart of the Lord and what you share with us. Yes, and wisdom is a very practical thing. It's how do I conduct myself for God in this situation? That's, that's what we're talking. Wisdom in the scripture is always practical. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is application of the truth. It's understanding of the situation. It's walking as, as God would have me to walk. So, you know, I know I'm not, there's some things I know. I mean, I know that I don't have to ask God whether it's okay to commit adultery or not. Or live in fornication. I don't, I don't, there's, you know, that, that, that's not, that's, that's, you know, those things are there. But how do I conduct myself with people in this situation in a godly manner? Other comments or questions or thoughts? You don't have to ask, but I think this is a bit uh, uh, preventive. Because people are asking those questions today. They, they, are, not, they have this premise that God wants me to be happy if I'm not happy with my mate. That must mean I've got to do something about it, and somehow God can bless it. And that's just one example of many. And it's just amazing how the ability to rationalize, and that's why being in something like this is so cool. No, absolutely, Brother Paul is talking about how we, we rationalize God, like God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy with my mate, so I'm going to find another one. Um, um, God doesn't want you to be happy in that sense, or in, in, in that in, in that way, that's a really low definition of, um, of, of happiness. And of course, when in a superficial way that is applied, the person will never find happiness. Never. Because the next one will be the same as the first one. Um, no, this, we, we need this very, very, very clearly. The truth of this passage about abstaining from immorality um, we talked about it up on the hill yesterday quite a bit. They have been discussing Ephesians at their own rate, and I go up there and then they ask me questions. So their questions are not necessarily on the same day I'm teaching down here. So I just get whatever I get when I get up there. <laughs> Any other comment or, or question?
Yeah, I know. It's like in any, in any class, when it's about one minute till the end of the class, nobody will ask a question because they don't want to be responsible for keeping everybody <laughs> over time. I understand that. Well, the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your holy word and for its truth. We thank you we're able to conclude on this note, Lord. Seal this truth to our hearts. Lord, help us as your dear children whom you have transformed, as those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Empower us to walk in love as, as Christ did, to abstain from all of the false things in the world that claim to offer us satisfaction and to find our fulfillment in the fullness of your spirit and in praising you and in union with you. That we might truly know you and love you, be in fellowship with you, and wisely and appropriately be holy by reflecting your character in our daily lives and by reflecting your character communally as the body of Christ. In Jesus, thank you, Lord, for these people. Thank you for those who've so faithfully come. Thank you for those who've been able to come occasionally. Bless the service that's coming, this concluding service, Lord. Bless our brother Paul as he preaches. Anoint him. And may this be a grand conclusion for our camp to you. The praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I know you've probably seen this and heard this more than I have, and but I see a real deliberate connection between the culture as it is now, and there's a, a, a more of an increase in debasing the word of Paul and his reputation, the Apostle Paul, and and his writings, and saying that you know he was a liar, and, and you know, and and that. He